Sandu, we are finally here. We've been talking about this for almost a year, and now here we are, we're doing a podcast, the Brit Pack. Yeah, I mean, like I said, talking about it for a year, and I think, uh, hashtag the time is now. I think um, the UK scene has never been hotter than it is right now. Uh, we've got uh, Bisping as a UFC champion. Uh, we've got this rumoured event uh, to take place in, well, hopefully it'll be in Manchester. That's what the rumours are at the moment. And we've got uh, an impending brand new uh, TV deal for the UFC. And also, we just had Bellator come and go um, last weekend at the O2 Arena. And, and all indications point to the fact that they've had a successful event, which means they'll be back. So throw in Bama and Cage Warriors, and it's a, it's a really good time uh, for the UK scene here uh, in mixed martial arts. And we're going to dive in there, and uh, obviously we're going, to be, we're going to be focusing on the bigger stories, but we'll also cover a little bit of the UK stuff uh, as, and when, as and when we get to cover some of these events. Um, I suppose by, by way of introduction, we should probably... Uh, Explain why we're doing this. Uh, you know, the pair of us have been covering the sport for various outlets for a good few years now. Um, myself, I, I was at the Daily Mirror, then I was at BT Sport, and now I'm, I'm with the Sun covering covering MMA. It was UFC. We were doing just a UFC deal. Now we're, we're covering MMA in general, which is great. Uh, you're writing for Fighters Only, Flow Combat, MMA Junkie. Anyone I've left off? No, I mean, that, that's it. I mean, it started off... Um, uh, with MMA Junkie, that's the first real big major outlet that uh, um, I started you know, providing content for. Um, and you know, given the profile I've got uh, for contributing to uh, MMA Junkie, I just recently, literally in the last couple of months, had the opportunity to join the Flow Combat team and Fighters Only. And it's a, it's a good way for me to provide different types of content for the different outlets. For Junkie, it's video content as a European correspondent or a European reporter and you know, I'm, I'm covering the scene here with my partner in crime, Abby Saban. Um, for, for fighters only, it's just trying to provide them with very quick hit, um, hot breaking news stories from the MMA news cycle. And then for Flow Combat, it's more features, um, all focused on telling fighter stories. So it means I'm able to kind of communicate and interview fighters on a more regular basis now. Uh, and I think the next ed- you know, natural evolution was to finally get on the airwaves, so to speak. And like you said, we've been speaking about this uh, for, for, for about a good year now. And I, and I think, you know, jokes aside, I think the time is perfect right now because, like, the sun is now expanding into MMA coverage, not just UFC, yeah. which means you're allowed to openly uh, speak about uh, the entire sport um, and uh, with the kind of you know various coverage I'm doing across the sport now as well. Um, I think it was just the right time for you and me to come together to collaborate um, and to, to to get a podcast on the scene. I think the majority of podcasts tend to have a North American voice, yeah. so hopefully we can provide a, a British voice with a British perspective um, on the various uh, hot topics in the world of mixed martial arts. Yeah, it's going to be good fun. It's going to be good fun. Now, this probably isn't the normal way of doing things, but we are going to start this podcast with an apology. Uh, we were supposed to record this at Nando's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you told one or two people on Twitter we were going to do it at Nando's, and we were going to do it at Nando's with the best of intentions. We went to Nando's. We have eaten at Nando's uh, because that's what UK based MMA journalists do whenever they get the chance. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, but it was just a bit too chaotic for the first show. So we are, we are down the road in, in uh, Mr. Sandu's own offices here uh, in, in uh, London, Victoria. And uh, 
So yes, yeah, so we're recording here. So, but we will be doing shows from Nando's uh, further down the line. We're going to be doing shows from all over the place. Um, we'll be recording over Skype. We'll be recording live from uh, events when we're both at the same event. We may well do bonus fight week coverage as well. So it's going to be a bit of a movable feast in terms of what we do and where we do it. But the plan is to get something out to you every week, ideally on a Monday night. We're going to try and get something out every Monday night. And if we can drop any uh, bonus bits and pieces in there along the way, then uh, we'll most certainly do that. So uh, I guess the first thing to do, you know, the uh, we've got burning, burning topics that we should talk about. But let's very, very quickly just run, run over what happened at the weekend. UFC on Fox. Uh, not the most stellar card we've ever seen in the world. Uh, the saving grace for us UK fans is that it was an early start and therefore an early finish. Um, anyone from the UK who watches uh, mixed martial arts knows that covering uh, or watching North American shows, it's hard going. It's hard going. You need the coffee, you need the energy drinks, you need the snacks. And uh, Sundays are normally a write-off. Thankfully, we were done by about half past three, four a.m., uh, on Saturday night, and we saw Valentina Shevchenko upset the odds uh, and defeat Holly Holm deservedly by four rounds to one on all three scorecards, 49-46. She's right in there with a shot at the championship now. I mean, had, what did you make of that performance? Um, and uh, give us your big takeaway from that from that main event. Well, I'm not sure if I underestimated uh, Shevchenko or if I was just really high on Holly Holm. But it wasn't the way I expected the fight to go. I thought uh, the occasion was set up for home to, to get a victory over Shevchenko um, and then get right back in the title picture um, or maybe set up um, a, a rematch with Ronda Rousey, which potentially is still on the table. But n- now back-to-back losses, it doesn't look right. And I think the general consensus is, is that the, the UFC women's bantamweight division is in a state of chaos. Uh, <laughs> yeah. where, to put it lightly, you know, I mean... I, don't, I mean, put it this way, uh, Sean Shelby and, uh, and, uh, and Joe Silva are going to have their work cut out for them in regards to kind of putting some fights together in this, in this bantamweight division. Um, we still don't know if Ronda Rousey is going to come back. Um, but, I mean, what do you what do, you do um, with Amanda Nunes next side? Who, do you, who would you match her up against with? Well, if you're not going to give her Misha Tate again, which is an option, um, given how... how how um, decisive and devastating a, a victory Nunes now has over Tate. I think that's a hard rematch to sell. I would give a Shevchenko next. Uh, I know Juliana Pena has got a strong, a strong, uh, a strong case. She she performed very well, beat Kat Zingano uh, last time out. Looked very good doing so as well uh, at UFC 200. Um, I would give a Shevchenko. There's a narrative there. Shevchenko fought Nunes uh, just two fights ago, and uh, she was she. She was the one coming on strong as that fight progressed. Nunes, we know, starts fast, is very powerful, um, likes to get the job done very quickly. Shevchenko is a very wily uh, and experienced striker. She was able to weather that storm quite comfortably. And as the fight progressed, uh, it was her that was winning the fight going down the stretch. It's just she ran out of rounds, basically. If that had been a five-round fight, I fully expect Shevchenko to have won that fight. Probably on the scorecards, but I think she would have won it running away in the championship rounds. I think the obvious question now is, w- would that have happened? Would that have happened? Nunes has probably been pushed more by Shevchenko than she was by, certainly by Misha Tate. Um, so that would be an obvious thing to do. Give her the rematch. Um, it would be a good co-main event title fight to put on 
You could even put that fight on over in Europe, especially with Shevchenko being European. There's a selling point over with, with that as well. I think that's a more sellable fight than Juliana Pena, I've got to be honest. Um, I think Pena will deserve a title shot. Um, I just think strategically and from a, from a narrative point of view, uh, I think Shevchenko is the, is the hot hand right now. I would, I would give her the title shot. There's so many good fighters in that bantamweight division, but they're all coming off losses. Yeah, you know, you've got Ronda Rousey if she comes back coming off a loss. You've got Holly Holm coming off a loss, uh, coming off back-to-back losses. You've got Misha Tate coming off a loss. You've got Kat Zingano coming off a loss. Now, eight to ten months ago, you said list the best women's bantamweight fighters in the world. They would have been the names at the top of your list. Every single one of them is coming off at least one defeat. Um, so there's an awful lot of. Um, uh, damage limitation or reclamation work that needs to be done uh, for their respective careers. They need to get back on the horse. They need to get a win. They need to get back into championship contention. Be very interested to see what they do. Will they put Misha Tate back in there with Holly Holm again? Will they give them a rematch and see whoever wins that then advances? There's loads of different permutations there. But I think for Amanda Nunes, I think Shevchenko is the natural the natural uh, person to stick in there. I mean, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, they've got an event coming up in Brazil. Um, uh, that's the rumour anyway it hasn't been made official just yet Uh, but you'd like to think that with Brazil only having um, one legitimate champion um, uh, in Amanda Nunes of course we've got Jose Aldo as an interim champion but uh, the time might be right to actually push her as far as they can for the Brazilian market so that perhaps she can get as much media exposure and and, help grow her fan base there Um, if I was going to choose between Shevchenko or Pena I probably lean a little bit more towards Pena. I can see where you're coming from with Shevchenko. She's had a major platform to fight on Fox, which um, reports today uh, came out that it got somewhere in the ballpark of about 2.3, 2.4 million viewers. Which is very surprising given the strength of the card. Yeah, exactly. Um, but um, considering Pena's been undefeated in her UFC runs th- thus far, and the fact that um, Amanda Nunes has just you know, not too long ago beaten Shevchenko I'd lean more towards the fresher matchup um, and listen you know, getting a win over Kat Zingano is pretty impressive okay. where she only kind of had one previous loss and that was to Ronda Rousey in 14 seconds so I don't think you can go too far wrong with either option I would just personally prefer to lean a little bit more towards Juliana Pena It'd be interesting to see which direction they go with it as you, as you say I don't think there's a I don't think there's a wrong direction if you pick one of one of those two, um, but I think also what it serves as is almost as a bit of a holding pattern for the UFC while they try and build up their inverted commas stars because Amanda Nunes not yet a star, Valentina Shevchenko not yet a star. All their stars in the women's 135 pound division, as we say, coming off losses, they need to get find at least one of them in form and coming off the back of a win, and then they can push them back into championship contention. Interesting to see where they go on that. Now, that was UFC and Fox. We very quickly uh, went over that. Because the big talking point in the UK, and I reckon I've had anything between 5 and 35 questions per day on Twitter uh, about this. The UK TV deal for the UFC, it's, it's all people want to talk about. Understandably so. The deal expires on the 31st of the month. Um, so we're talking next Monday, basically. Um, and uh, are we going to go with a new a new partner? Are we going to go with a revamped current partner in BT Sport? Or are we going to get something completely out of left field that no one saw coming? It's really interesting times for the UFC. 
We have a British world champion. You can imagine the negotiating position. We've got Conor McGregor doing great business. Whenever Conor McGregor's name appears on a website or on television, it's numbers. And uh, people are getting switched onto that. We've obviously got the potential for Ronda Rousey coming back. She certainly moves the needle whenever she's mentioned. And we've got a British world champion in Michael Bisbee. Um, the UFC are in a good position right now. And uh, it's all about where does the TV deal go? Um, now, I've, I've written about this quite a bit. So I'll, I'll throw it over to you first, buddy. And tell me what you think in terms of where you think the best the best fit would be. Well... Well, first of all, um, I'm glad that you mentioned the piece that you wrote because, like yourself, the question I've been um, hit with the most, especially in the last two or three months, is what is happening with this new TV deal? And I've, time and time and again, just provided the, uh, uh, the person in question on Twitter with a link to your article. Checks in the post for that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I mean... I'm a, I'm a subscriber to Virgin, right? So I, I get BT Sport for free. As do I. I've got Virgin right? too. So. so looking at it from just a consumer's point of view, as someone that doesn't have to pay any extra for all the BT events that are, I, need, I need to watch for my job, um, it's no extra cost. Now, having said that, um, have, the, have BT Sport done the best job they could have done over the last three years? I would say no. I think um, if I was going to give them a grade, I'd maybe give them a C, a C plus. They could have done a lot better, right? They, there was a few attempts at some of the programming and shoulder programming and, and things that they did, um, but after a while, I kind of fell flat. Um, now, having said all of that, me as an outsider looking in, I would absolutely love for the UFC to be on Sky Sports. Now, we're going to get, we can get into this in a little bit more detail, and you're obviously probably the best person to speak on this, having been on the inside, worked for BT Sport, and penned that fantastic article. Um, everyone that is in fear of the UFC potentially coming onto Sky Sports thinks, oh, well, it'll, it'll be on Sky Box Office, and you know, we'll have to pay 10, 15 quid to watch uh, UFC events or UFC pay-per-views. That's all mere speculation at this point. The, the reason I would love for the UFC to get onto Sky Sports is because then the sport will be right up there neck and neck with football, rugby, tennis, Formula One. You know, the, the Sky Sports has a 24-hour news channel yeah. and just to have um, UFC news um, followed by Premier League news, followed by um, Wimbledon news, followed by Lewis Hamilton's performance in the Formula One running it back round to Conor McGregor's latest victory or something of that nature, it will start to attract the mainstream casual um, viewers to the sport. And that eventually is the best way to actually not only grow the UFC brand, but to get more eyeballs on the, on the sport itself, which will hopefully trickle down to the grassroots level here in the UK. Yeah, and what I'll do is, because obviously you've been talking so strongly on, on Sky Sports, and I, I agree with everything you've said, and... The whole uh, Sky Sports news thing can't be underestimated. The, the fact that you can get people interested in something almost by osmosis, right? If you're tuning in, waiting to see, for example, today, Sam Allardyce was named the England manager, um, which is massive news here in the UK. Um, he had his first press conference today. But imagine you're getting ready to watch his first press conference or the highlights of his press conference. You go, 
But first, here's Conor McGregor hitting pads ahead of his big fight, or here's the best knockouts of the weekend, or here's, you know, it could be anything along those lines. And you might you might have tuned in to watch something else, but you've got to get through the UFC content first. And a lot of people will watch this and go, do you know what, this is pretty cool. Or the personality of the person involved, whether it's Conor, whether it's Bisbing, whether it's Ronda Rousey, you know, whoever it might be. These people are engaging athletes, irrespective of their, their, their sport. And you will start to get people in by osmosis. So, so that's a really big, important thing. Um, you've, you've spoken about the, the Sky thing. Let me, let me give you the flip side to that. Uh, the benefit of BT Sport, and I, I've looked at this because I've spoken to my wife about it. She's like, well, where do you want it to go? And I said, well, I'm kind of torn. It's sort of down the middle. I said, from a, a pure growth perspective, if I'm t- removing everything else to the equation, I think, where's, it, where's the best place for it to go in terms of getting the most eyeballs on the sport? I would say Sky. They've got the bigger reach. They've got the biggest bandwidth insofar as they've got, they've got five numbered Sky Sports channels. They've got a 24-hour news channel. And they've got a Formula One channel, which can also be repurposed off-season. Off so they've got all this bandwidth that they could, they could run programming. Um, there, is the, there is the spectre of pay-per-view. Uh, and if Sky were to go into business with the UFC, you can bet they'd certainly want to put some of it on pay-per-view. But ultimately, that decision would have to be made between the pair of them. And eventually, it would be the UFC that had the deciding vote because it's their rights. If the UFC don't want pay-per-view, it won't be on pay-per-view. And this is the thing. A lot of people have said, if it goes on Sky, it'll be on pay-per-view. That's not cut and dried at all. Um, If it goes on Sky, it's because the UFC has come to an agreement with Sky over how that is going to be presented. So if it includes pay-per-view, that's because the UFC have said, okay, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll do a bit of this. To be honest, I don't think pay-per-view is right for the UK right now. I think... Give it 18 months, two years, maybe it might be, but we haven't got we haven't got to that critical mass yet. But to talk uh, about the, the uh, flip side in BT Sport, BT are now a known entity to uh, the UFC. They've worked with them for three years. I was there for uh, a couple. Of, well, I was there almost three years. Um, I was there from before launch. Worked on the digital side of things, working across UFC, MotoGP, Premier League football, um, European football, and uh, so I kind of got a. A, a good uh, take on sort of the machinations of the of the, of the uh, company and how it all works, and there it's fair to say there were teething problems. Um, there were um, issues with beyond the octagon. They they tried really hard to, to, to push the show down a particular route, just didn't really take. Then the budget was cut and it went from an hour show in the studio to a half hour clip show virtually, and they started doing these specials and. They'd do a, a big show once a month in the studio, which actually looked really good. And we had the Conor McGregor balls on the forehead thing with Chad Mendes, which I think the I think the show did a zero rating on the Barb ratings, which are the official UK television ratings. I think it rated zero. That clip on YouTube within like a couple of months was was doing seven figures worldwide. So that gives you sort of uh, in a nutshell some of the problems because the fans largely weren't watching the program. They were watching the fights in the middle of the night, but they could, they weren't watching this this prime time show. It was scheduled against Champions League games as well, which is is not handy. So um, you know, if you want to try and get people across some other sports, the natural place to go is football because that's where the biggest uh, collection of fans in your demographic are going to be. So if you're showing Manchester United versus Barcelona on ITV, as as, as would have been the case back then, 
and you stick beyond the octagon on, on BT Sport 1 at the same time, you're going to suffer. And, and, you know, there are issues with that as well. But this is a partner that had been working with the UFC for three years. Rough edges have been knocked off a lot of things digitally. Um, and uh, I can say, I mean, like when I was working there, it was basically just me doing a few bits and pieces. Now they've completely changed the way they work digitally. Um, it's all about video content, social media, really pushing things. And to be fair, they're doing a good job of that. If you look at BT Sports UFC account, they're doing a really good job of that. And uh, all, all credit to the guys there who, who, who are doing that. The question marks are over the broadcast stuff. Um, are they, are they going to pursue this, this uh, magazine show thing? Are they going to look to run more UFC-based content? I don't know. I don't know. So... These are the sort of questions that the UFC have got have got to negotiate, whether it's going to be with BT, whether it's going to be with Sky. But the benefit of BT, and the number one benefit of BT, is for the fans. And I'll tell you for why, because you think every TV deal that the UFC has had, they were on Bravo. Uh, then they were on uh, Satanta. Uh, then they were on ESPN. Then they were on BT. Every rights... Uh, Every time the rights came up, they moved. And the fans had to move with it. If they were to stay with BT, the fans wouldn't have to move. They wouldn't have to buy additional packages. They wouldn't have to pay. For me personally, if they went with Sky, I'd have to pay an extra 40 quid a month to get it. Um, that's because I'm on, I'm on Virgin. If someone's on Sky, it might cost a little bit less. Or, you know, the cost of dropping BT to get, to get Sky might offset a little bit. But in general... If uh, they switch to Sky, it's going to cost the fans money. And that's aside from any potential for pay-per-view, which, as I say, is going to be a bit thin. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of... It, I, it really is a coin flip. It's like, do you want maximum growth or do you want maximum engagement? And I think the engagement probably sits better with BT, but the growth probably sits better with Sky. And it's an interesting quandary they've got. Um, so it'd be interesting to see where they're going. You'd like to think we'll hear in the next few days... Uh, because, as I say, the deal's up by the end of the week, and uh, people need to know, as, as my Twitter feed tells me on a daily basis. So let me ask you this. The UFC currently have, in the UK, uh, uh, a media partnership deal with the BBC. Is there any outside chance that perhaps B- BBC could jump in on this, or maybe uh, a terrestrial challenge, a channel jump in on this? We just saw Bellator air on uh, Channel 5 last weekend, uh, and, and, and even on a one-hour tape delay, that got over half a million viewers. Great numbers. Great numbers. Even in 2016, that blows my mind that there's half a million viewers watching MMA on a Saturday night. And it's not even live, that's the thing. Exactly. Um, and, and although Channel 5 is within the Viacom family, and that seems to be the future of Bellator uh, in this country on a terrestrial channel, channel so i.e. if anyone listening to this podcast outside of the UK, that means that every home in the UK has Channel 5. Yeah. Let me ask you, Simon, is there any chance of, an, of a terrestrial channel jumping in at the last minute and trying to get the, the rights for this? Um, I'd be surprised. And I think, I think there are a lot of reasons why it's, it's tricky. Uh, one of the big reasons why it's tricky is the watershed. Uh, the watershed, for those who aren't that familiar with the UK broadcasting regulations basically state that you can't show programming with adult themes and that includes things like violence uh bloodshed 
uh, adult things, whether it be sexual content, anything like that, uh, until 9 o'clock in the evening on a terrestrial TV channel. Um, on a subscription TV channel, that um, that limit is brought an hour early, so you can show stuff from 8 o'clock. But even then, you have to transition into it. So you can't go from uh, Peppa Pig at 7 o'clock and then go, bang, live UFC at 8 o'clock. Won't work, it, it, you know. The uh, Ofcom, which are the uh, which are the regulators here in the UK, they'd be down on that like a ton of bricks. I say that's you know you can't do that. So, so uh, and because the watershed on a on a terrestrial channel is an hour later, in terms of live broadcast, that makes it a lot trickier. If you think um, the UFC on on BT Sport, when there's been a show in the UK that they've had live, not all of them have been live on BT Sport due to the package. Uh, sort of rights deals, differences and things like this. But they've not been able to show the prelims live on, on the linear television channel. They've had to stream them through the app instead. Um, and then at 8 o'clock, they then go live, show a little bit of the highlights of the prelims, but then they go into the main card. And imagine that if it was an hour further on at 9 o'clock. That would put a major strain on, on, on the event. Uh, you'd have to hold events later. You've got issues with curfew and all that sort of stuff. So I think logistically, it makes it very difficult. Um, BBC Three are doing some great stuff. It's very sort of magazine-y. Um, it's aimed at growing the sport and growing the awareness amongst amongst young fans in particular. And the stuff that they're doing is really good. I don't think they're geared up for live events at this stage. In a few years' time, who knows? Um, Channel 5, obviously, I think is pretty much a, a no-go area because, it's, A, it's Viacom owned, B, Bellator in that space. I think that would be counterproductive to put the UFC in there. ITV4, which is one of ITV's subsidiary channels, they run a lot of sport. They run the Tour de France. They run uh, British Superbikes, British Touring Car Championships, uh, and occasional football content. Um, but that's not a major, major channel. That's a digital channel rather than a terrestrial channel. The main ITV channel, I don't think they'd do it with just because... Of, of the watershed. The only terrestrial broadcaster where you could maybe see it fit in is Channel 4. The reason why Channel 4 is probably the best of the, the best of the bunch, they have built their business on independent programming. Uh, they don't self-produce much at all. It's all done by like boutique publishers and uh, filmmakers and it's a little more edgy, you know, the whole the whole uh, Channel 4 output. That kind of fits the UFC quite nicely, and the demographics kind of a good fit. It's kind of a young audience, um, and also the fact that the UFC self-produce all their stuff. It can just be delivered, packaged, and it can go. Um, but I do go back to that 9 p.m. watershed thing, so I think that would be tricky. Um, why not have a highlight show on there though? Mm. That would be good. Um, I would, I would, I would certainly love to see something like that—a weekly highlight show. Um, not like an ultimate insider, but a proper sort of wham bam, thank you, ma'am. Here's a highlight. Like it can be half an hour. Best of the fights from the weekend. Show at ten o'clock on a Friday night or whatever. Um, best knockouts of the week. Very sort of uh, sort of top ten, sort of bang 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 that sort of thing. That I think would go really well, um, and it wouldn't interfere with the rights that that, that are, I think more likely to go with a, with a traditional sports subscription broadcaster. I think it's between Sky and BT. Right then. Well, if that's the case, it's time for you and me to both put our money where our mouth is. I was hoping you won't. <laughs> um, gun to your head. And yeah. I'll, I'll give a prediction too, but gun to your head, side. Yeah. Where does your gut tell you, where are we headed with the UFC, with the TV deal in the UK? 
I've flip-flopped on this over the last six months. Um, I think if you put the gun to my head right now, I think it might be BT. I, if you'd asked me that like three months ago, I'd have said, I think it might be Sky. But I've just got this feeling it might be BT now. Um, you watch BT's output, they're not ramping anything, you know, they're not tailing anything off. Um, everything is just... So they're either being incredibly professional or they're, they're, they, they know that they're carrying on. So it could just be that they're being uber professional and they're seeing it through. But there's no sign of them stopping what they're doing. Everything seems to be carrying on very serenely. Um, but then... You know the Sky thing, and I'd I'd, I'd heard I'd heard rumblings from from people within Sky a long time ago that they were very confident. Um, but if you put the gun to my head now, I would say I think I think, and I might change my mind tomorrow. But I think right now, it, I think BT might just might just get it. I have to agree. I mean, if I were to make a decision right now, which I, I have to, because I, I said we would. <laughs> you um, painted yourself into the corner, <laughs> mate. Um, I'd say BT Sport too. I mean, if we just look at the schedule, um, we've got UFC 201 Lawler versus Woodley uh, this weekend. Yeah. And then there's no gap. The following weekend, we've got UFC Fight Night Rodriguez versus Caceres. And now one would think that after the current deal expires this weekend, if there was going to be a new partner taking over the reins, so to speak, mm. next weekend, we'd perhaps start to see some promotion for that, um, at least from the, the new partner's point of view, to say, look, we're, we're, the UFC is coming to our channel, a, a press release, yeah. something, even if it wasn't a large-scale uh, uh, TV advertisement or anything like that, or mm. just something, some sort of press release um, to say, look, we're going to be continuing... Um, with the, the UFC's coverage on our channel. Uh, but given everything you just said and the fact that uh, I haven't seen any tailing off on any coverage or broadcasting uh, of the UFC or BT Sport, that is what also leads me to believe that we will be sticking with BT Sport. And listen, if that's the case, that's fine, because like you said, it means that no, nobody has to change the subscription. It's business as usual, um, as Dana White uh, famously said many, many times. And, uh, and I just hope that if it is BT Sport, um, that we see some sort of injection of creativity. Uh, we see an injection of magazine uh, programming um, of a higher quality. You know, they only need to look at what the UFC is producing um, on their social media channels, with their YouTube channel, that the talent is there. You've Dan got Hardy. Dan John Hardy. Stuff, yeah. John Gooden. Absolutely. Uh, you've got uh, Caroline Pierce, who's... You know, you know, come a long way since she first started covering the sport. Yeah. Um, you've got the talent. Um, you've got the the means to produce all this content. Um, and I think that's what fans want. I think fans want genuine um, content. You know, by people that care about the sport, that know what they're talking about. Um, so, so yeah. So there's my prediction as well. I'm sticking with you on this one. I'm, I'm going to go with BT Sport. Yeah. By the time this podcast comes out, we may have changed our mind. But, you know. <laughs> but uh, the one thing I would say. Irrespective of where it goes, and I think this is probably the single most important thing about this entire TV deal, is that everything has to be in one place. One of the things that the UK fans have, have had to sort of juggle with, and it's been a tricky position for BT as well in the position that they were in. When BT did their original deal, and I'll try and whiz over this as quickly as I can, the deal that they did was for everything that was on US television, which at the time was everything. 
But then they launched UFC Fight Pass. They started introducing uh, global events, Asian events, extra European events just for Fight Pass. That stuff wasn't on BT. BT had to negotiate additional rights for some of these shows. That's when we started seeing stuff appearing on PIC, um, which was sort of sky dipping their toe in the water. And that's when, you know, the rumblings began to begin. Began to begin? That's terrible English. Um, started with uh, our sky interested in this. Um, it's really important, and I really, really hope that wherever it goes, that we have a one-stop shop. So everything needs to be in one place. Obviously, UFC Fight Pass has their own exclusive like ring-fenced areas of fight cards. They have the Fight Pass premiums and all of that. That's, that's, that's all a given. But I really, really don't want to see a situation where the rights are split across different, different providers. As a fan, you want to know, if I subscribe to this channel, I will get every show live. And I think once, once the deal is announced, whether it's Sky, whether it's BT, if the fans know, okay, I buy this channel, I get everything then I think they'll be happy. And I think that's, that, that, that's what we need. Um, so yeah, that's the TV deal. That's, that's basically where we are with the TV deal. We were going to do 35 to 45 minutes and we're nearly 35 minutes in. So let's... But to be fair, I think everyone knew that this first episode was going to focus a lot on the TV deal because it's what we've been inundated with. We've had more questions about yeah. that than anything else, right? So, Absolutely. So um, let's, let's very, very quickly... Uh, the other talking point, very, very quickly, is UFC 204, which has not been announced. Uh, it has been hinted at by various people, including the UFC president, Dana White. Um, and it sounds like we may well be getting it in Manchester. It sounds like it may well be happening in the middle of the night. And it sounds like it may well be uh, for pay-per-view in America. So... Uh, obviously, if it's UFC 204, that's a number pay-per-view card. Um, and if it happens in the middle of the night, British fight fans uh, will will remember Ricky Hatton versus Costa Zhu, one of the great performances by a British boxer uh, in, in recent memory. Um, I think it was 2005. Um, Costa Zhu was one of the pound-for-pound best fighters on the planet at the time. And Ricky Hatton took him to the cleaners at the MEN Arena in the middle of the night. I think it finished about 2 or 3 a.m. And that was in the middle of the night specifically for American pay-per-view. It looks as if we may be be going back to that. Um, uh, I'm not saying that that's something that we want to make a habit of. But this is Michael Bisping's first world championship defence. We believe it with Dan Henderson. Dan Henderson did a great interview with our friends over at um, Talking Brawls and Severe, Severe MMA and said, this is his last fight. Win or lose, this is the last fight. Um, and he's talking very much as if the fight is, is, is as good as done. Um, what do you reckon? Manchester, middle of the night, Michael Bisping, Dan Henderson. Well, I've heard the same rumours uh, you have. I think we are literally just days away uh, I mean, as like I said, this is a very exciting times. We're, we're hopefully going to find out um, this week uh, of the new TV deal. We're hopefully also going to find out this week um, what is happening um, with UFC 204 slash Michael Bisping versus Dan Henderson slash um, where the UK are probably in Manchester. At a stretch, I've even heard potential of obviously it being held in Old Trafford. I think it'd be more likely to be at uh, the Etihad if it's going to be in a stadium. Yes, because Gary Cook has got very strong links with Manchester City. Yep, uh, former CEO of Manchester City. 
Uh, it's a slightly smaller stadium. Uh, it's a more atmosphere, or if I say more atmospheric, and Manchester United friends will come down on me like a ton well, of bricks. But I think it better suits a fight uh, because you've got these massive cavernous stands that you've got at Old Trafford. I think it would fit better. Um, I think if they did a stadium, it would be the Etihad. Well, to be fair, that's a good shout, but... When Michael Bisping did his victory parade around the UK he did. with his uh, championship belt, he didn't go to the Etihad. He went to Old Trafford. No. So that's quite telling. Uh, Manchester United you know, were the ones tweeting congratulatory messages to Michael Bisping. And he was the one wearing the Manchester United shirt. And he was the one that wearing the Man- Manchester United shirt. He wasn't wearing a Man City shirt. We didn't see any tweets or any social media activity from the Man City account yeah. on his accomplishment. So if we're going to take that into account, perhaps that might help us figure out where it could be held. I'd be amazed if they did Old Trafford. I'd be, ama- I'd be, I'd be absolutely overjoyed if they did Old Trafford. Have you ever been to Old Trafford? I haven't actually, no. Oh my God. It, it is one of the great sporting, sporting arenas. It really is. And the atmosphere they're generating there is, is something pretty special. I've been there to watch Manchester United. I've been there to watch England internationals as well. Uh, it's it's a place that has a very special atmosphere. There's a lot of history in that place. To see Michael Bisbing and an octagon on the centre circle at Old Trafford would be, to quote you, Gooseys, my friend. Yeah. The Gooseys would be up and uh, it would be fantastic. As I say, the reason I'm thinking it might be the Etihad is just the Gary Cook. The Gary Cook link, and I think it might be more doable. Um, Regardless of whether it's Old Trafford or Etihad... I, I think it's more likely to be the MEN, to be honest with you. But that's what I think yeah. as well, because having an event in the middle of October, um, you know, we, it's, it's like uh, almost August and we've barely had a little bit of summer uh, this year. This is the summer. It's going to be done by the weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. While it's here. Um, and Dana White has notoriously said in the past that he wants to avoid any open air stadium shows, especially during months where you could potentially get you know rainfall, which in the UK is basically 11 and a half months of the year anyway. <laughs> Anything north of the Watford Gap, it, it pisses <laughs> down most days. Yeah, but so. just the idea of the UFC potentially bringing back a pay-per-view, that's huge. The last time the UFC had a pay-per-view in the UK was UFC 85, Bedlam, where Thiago Alvarez was with Matt Hughes. Now, they had um, papered events, uh, numbered events in the UK since then, but it was always broadcast on tape delay on Spike TV in the, in, in, in the US. So to have a pay-per-view come back to the UK after such a long time would be absolutely phenomenal, especially with, um, you know, you'd like to think, with a pay-per-view card, they'd absolutely stack it to the deck, you know? Well, yes, and I watched the uh, the UFC Q&A uh, this past week. Um, Joanny and Jacek, uh, who is in my top three favourite fighters in the UFC, I think she's an absolute superstar, uh, inside and outside the Otacon, she's She just gets it. You know, she gets the whole promotional thing. She's brilliant with the fans. She's brilliant with the press. She did a Q&A with Megan O'Levy in, crikey, where were they? Chicago, um, ahead of last weekend's event. And she wants to fight in Madison Square Garden, but she did, I say let slip. Uh, she she mentioned, she said, she thinks they might want me, what did she say? I think they might want me earlier than that. Uh, there's a show in Manchester. That's what she said. So, Joanny and Jacek as the co-main event uh, to Michael Bisbing let the cat Dan, out of the bag Dan Henderson <laughs> so I think if Rose and, and she was very interested in the way she was talking about this weekend's co-main Rose Nami Yunus versus Karolina uh, Um she said if Karolina wins she doesn't think she will get the title shot next she thinks she probably needs another win 
But if Rose wins, and Rose is the big betting favourite to win that fight, she thinks that they will make Rose Namajunas uh, and uh, Yoanni and Jacek. That could be the co-main event for UFC 204. That would be fantastic. Having JJ on a British card would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, if it was Carolina, I, I wouldn't be opposed to her getting a title shot. She is undefeated. And having two poles, I mean, we do have quite a, a large Polish uh, contingent here in we the do. UK. Uh, but there's also a large Polish contingent in New York, mm. right? The poles do get around, you know? Um, so, but yeah, I could definitely see... It'd be interesting because um, the very first uh, fight that I saw Joanna Janjajic uh, compete in was at a Cage Warriors event right. here in London uh, quite a few years ago now. So that would be pretty cool to see her come back Full and, circle, and yeah. fight on these shores. That would be quite interesting to cover that. Um, but yeah, I mean, looking, I mean, if we're going to now move ahead and look at this weekend's card, that's a nice little transition yes. there. Yeah. Um, that co-main event is very much, um, something that I'm looking forward to. Rose Amiunis as a Karina Kovalkiewicz, that's a barn burner of a fight right there. Both, yeah. both women coming in with a lot of uh, confidence and steam. I'm still, you know, swaying back and forth on, you know, which way I'm going there. But apart from Woodley and, and Lawler and that co-men event, I have to say, the card is a little bit dire, if you, if, if, if you ask me. And, and maybe that's just the fact that it's sandwiched in between UFC 202 and UFC 200. So coming off UFC 200, you were always going to have a little bit of a dip with you know, the fighters who are available, especially the big marquee names. Yeah. So I can imagine it would have been a bit tough to put you know, the big, big names on the card. But when you've got Lawler versus Woodley right at the top of the card, I mean, that, you know, take my money right there and then anyway. Absolutely. I mean, Robbie Lawler, I did a piece on him today, and um, he he said in the UFC conference call uh, a few days ago, he doesn't want to win fight of the night. He wants to win knockout of the night. Um, he He wants to get people in and out as quickly as possible. It just happens that... These guys are a lot tougher these days, and he ends up in these firefights that last for like five rounds. Um, and I think we might be in for another one because Wood. I think I think Woodley can be hurt. I think I think uh, I think he can be broken down. But Woodley's such a such a, a, a tank of an athlete. Um, if he really comes at Lawler early on, we could have a, we, you know we could have another barn burner of a fight in our hands. Robbie Lawler, if you were saying. Okay, I need one person on the UFC roster to fight for my life. I think Robbie Lawler would be the guy I'd, I'd, I'd be pointing to and say, "Give me that guy," because you know you never see him quit in a fight. He's you know this this Lawler two point as I call him, the uh, the second coming of Robbie Lawler, having come back to the UFC. Um, he's a different animal to the guy we saw before, and the difference now is he's got the smarts and the experience of all these years. Uh, and he had a terrible time of it in strike force, and he looked like he, his, his career was on the way out. And then he went, dropped back down from middleweight to welterweight, rejoined the UFC, destroyed uh, Josh Koscheck, and then it's been proof up. Just the only way is up ever since then. It's been amazing for him. He's been the most consistent UFC champion since GSP. That tells you all you need to know about the UFC championships right now. Because if he wins this fight of the weekend, that'll be his third straight. Uh, which is not exactly what you would call like a, 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 a sort of dominance of a division, right? He's had three championship fights, but yet such is the way that this this uh, this crazy sport has gone. People can't hang on to these belts right now because you know and 
it, it just shows you the level of, of competition mm. at the top of these divisions. Yoani and Jacek's right up there as well. Yep. She, she's defended her belt, I think, three times now. So we're in this position where if you can hang on to your belt for one or two fights, all of a sudden people are thinking, right, you're one of the pound-for-pound pound best. And it just goes to show what a dominant uh, ch- champion Demetrius Johnson has been. Oh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, to show how high level the sport has got to where belts are changing hands... You know, and across all divisions, in yeah. both the men and women's weight classes, it just goes to show when fighters like Yanayan Jacek and Demetrius Johnson can fight consistently five rounds, defend their championship belt again and again and again, um, that's when you start to kind of really put them high on that pound-for-pound rankings list. Absolutely, and that for me is why Demetrius is the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. I know John Jones is a prodigious talent, and I'm completely disregarding all of the... Uh, the, the, the out of out of cage issues that he's had in the past, just judging his body of work, he's got an incredible body of work. Um, he benefits from the fact that there's a lot more names in the weight division that he fights in. Demetrius Johnson's weight class is very new. Those fighters don't have the same mystique, but these are still elite level guys. It's just Demetrius is making them look not quite as good as they actually are. Joseph Benavides would be dominating that division if Demetrius Johnson moved up to bantamweight. Um, but he hasn't. So poor old Benavidez, you know, he's going to be like, he's, he's becoming the Uriah Faber of that division. You know, he's, he's, he'd be the champ if it wasn't for the guy above him, you know. So, um, but yeah, DJ is, is a superstar. And, uh, you know, from a, from a pure mixed martial arts perspective, not in terms of selling fights, being a personality or the rest of it, put him in a cage and watch him fight. He is the best fighter in the world. I, I, I genuinely believe that. Um, Right, we've gone through quite a few bits and pieces. It's probably, before we run out of time, uh, we should answer some of these questions. You put out yes. uh, some tweets saying, uh, give us some questions. We're going to try and do this as regularly as we can. Yes. Uh, get, some, get some questions answered. I understand we've had quite a few. Yeah, we have. Um, there was one that I uh, forgot to uh, print off uh, but because I thought we'd cover it. But there was um, somebody online that wanted to know our prediction this weekend. So... Woodley versus Lawler. You can go first, side. Who you got? I've got Lawler by late TKO stoppage. Right. I, I'm, I'm the same. I think um, Woodley is very explosive. Um, if he's going to do it, he'll do it early. Yes. Uh, but he, he carries a lot of muscle uh, for that welterweight uh, division. A lot of fast uh, twitch. Yeah. yeah. And, and although I think um, the early weigh-ins will benefit him specifically, um, I still think that when you meet fourth round, fifth round, Robbie Lawler, you can't train for that. You can't prepare for that. Um, and I think the fight will maybe go into the deeper rounds and then that's Robbie Lawler as well. So I'm picking him by TKO uh, in the fourth, if not by a uh, decision uh, over the course of five rounds. Yeah, totally agree with that. I think, I think Lawler is the king of the five-round fight. He's now, like, he used to, he used to lose them uh, and he turned a corner when he beat Johnny Hendricks and now he hasn't looked back. He's done it against... He's done it against Hendricks. He's done it against uh, Rory McDonald. Obviously, he stopped Rory McDonald late in that fight, uh, one eight nine fight of the year last year, and he did it against Carlos Condit, which may prove to be the fight of the year this year. Uh, one of the best fights, I've, certainly the best fight I've seen this year so far. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think he's going to get the job done, if not by decision. I think it'd be late TKO in the championship rounds for sure. Right, so with that being said, we're now going to fire through as many of these uh, Twitter questions as possible. Let's do it. Um, For future reference, if you have a question for either Simon or myself, hit us up 
Uh, my Twitter handle is at SanduMMA. Simon is at Simon Head. Uh, or uh, the best way of reaching out to us in pertain- uh, pertaining to this podcast is just hit us up at the Britpack MMA. That's our Twitter handle. Um, or use the hashtag the Britpack. So, with that being said, uh, the first question, Sai, is from a chap called Adam Bright. And he asks, what do you think of the health of the UK MMA scene at the moment with regards to UK promotions? Well, it seems to be, it seems to be growing. I mean, I'll, I'll put a caveat on this straight away. I don't cover the UK shows as regularly as, as some of the guys. There's, there's a few guys out there. Uh, one guy I, would, I do want to give a shout-out to is a guy called Steve Cook Abbott, who, um, if you don't follow him on Twitter, seek him out. He writes for Severe. Uh, he's probably the number one guy uh, to follow in terms of covering domestic shows on a consistent basis. What I've seen is things seem to be improving and moving up. Things were very fragmented, and the scene looked like it, was, it, was, it wasn't in a great state a few years ago. But now it seems like things are picking up. I mean, Bama are, are, doing, are doing consistent shows now. Cage Warriors are now back in the fold. They're on BT Sport now. Uh, and speaking is, of Bama, Bama's on Spike, uh, Spike UK, which is a good platform for them as well. So both of those have got strong TV deals now, which means they've got more reach. And uh, just today, Graham Boylan, uh, the, the, uh, the head of uh, Cage Warriors, announced they're going to hold an event on September the 10th at the Echo Arena in Liverpool. That will run directly against Bama's show in Dublin. So uh, September the 10th is the day to go and watch some MMA if you're in Ireland or, the UK, or, or England. So, um, But those two, those two promotions in particular are really kicking things on. Um, so, uh, And there are other promotions, Full Contact Contender, have been doing some great stuff in Bolton, uh, host, hosting regular shows there. They started off uh, largely doing amateur fights, and I spoke to, uh, to Bradley Wharton, whose who's, uh, commentation deals with the press as well for them. They're now pushing more, more, more pro fights as well. They're growing. There's, uh, there's BC MMA, UC MMA are obviously doing their stuff down in London. Um, and... Uh, you know, you know, there are promotions dotted around the country, and I think the sport in general is, is, is moving up. There's a, a phrase that a friend, Ariel Hawani, uh, mentioned to me a few months ago, saying, a rising tide lifts all ships, and I think that's right. So if, if, if the top of the sport is proving successful and there's a real appetite for the sport at the top level, what you'll find is the appetite for the sport at a domestic level will also start to rise as well. So the fact we've got a British world champion, the fact that the UFC is growing, the fact that Bellator are now beginning to develop a footprint over here, I think all of that is good news for the, for, for, for the, the well-run uh, local shows who can really piggyback off that and start to move up. Very well said. Right, so our next question is, <laughs> any idea when UFC 204 will be announced I thought it was supposed to be announced this weekend during the fights, and that comes from George from Cola. Well, we've kind of spoken about that already, but I think uh, with UFC 201 uh, taking place this weekend, um, uh, me and Simon spoke about this off air earlier on uh, during our Nando's meal, um, but the likelihood is is that the UFC are going to announce 204 at some point during the broadcast for UFC 201, uh, it'll be quite unusual if they did it outside of the broadcast, right? That's from from memory. That is typically what they do with their pay per views. Um, they'll announce the the fight night shows sort of locally within the region that are actually hosting. So if there was a fight night show in Canada, they'd probably go through Canadian outlets. If there was one in the UK, they'd probably go through a UK outlet. But because it's a pay per view, 
and it's part of the bigger UFC picture, they tend to like to announce those things live during another pay-per-view because what it also does is it tells the fans when they're going to be asked for their money again. So it's like, right, you've paid 50 bucks for this and here comes the next one or here comes the one after that. And they'll, you know, they'll normally get someone on. Uh, Michael Bisbing's not hard to get hold of. He'd probably be working, uh, working for Fox that weekend. So it wouldn't be beyond the realm of possibility to stick him in front of a camera and uh, get him to say some nasty things about Dan Henderson live on the broadcast. So um, that would be my that that, uh, that would be my, my my bet that we'll hear about it this weekend. But um, yeah, you'd like to think they're gonna they're gonna mention it soon. Obviously, you know you want especially for a pay per view, you need a good run up. But as we said earlier, if they're gonna run it in the middle of the night, there may be an awful lot of checks and balances that need to be dealt with. A lot of uh, things that need signing off with the local council and all that stuff. So that might put a delay on things. So if we don't hear this weekend, I'd say that's probably why. Yeah, but my gut tells me when we uh, sit down to record episode two next Monday, we'll be talking about a UFC 204 officially out there uh, for us to discuss in more detail. Fingers crossed. Right, with that being said, moving on. Uh, Santana uh, tweets in McGregor. Ronaldo and J-Lo <laughs> all in one week is he officially the biggest star in MMA and doing so without even starring in a movie so I'll throw that to you in a second side but for those that are uh, listening and, and haven't seen the image or images yet um, so Ronaldo was in Vegas or has been in Vegas uh, letting off some steam after a successful uh, campaign with Portugal at the European Championships he swung by McGregor's gym um, and, and basically hung out with McGregor for a bit, uh, posed for some pictures um, that he put on his Instagram account, which has like 70 million followers. That's more than the population of the UK, <laughs> just to give that some sort of perspective. Yeah. Um, McGregor then obviously posted an image of the two on his Instagram account, and then later that night, they were both in attendance at Jennifer Lopez's birthday bash in Vegas, uh, where McGregor then posted a, a picture um, with J-Lo herself. So... His, his network of A-list celebrities seems to grow bigger and bigger, McGregor's. Um, but what do you think? Going back to the question, side, is, I mean, right now, is Ronda Rousey at the moment still out of the picture? Are we looking at Conor McGregor as the biggest star in MMA? Yeah, absolutely. I don't even think there's a close second right now because Ronda, you can't include Ronda because she's not, she's not competing. So, uh, and, and let's be honest, Ronda, Ronda's gone completely off the grid right now. So, uh, Connor's Connor's a superstar. I mean, the fact how can a guy lose a fight in as as devastatingly convincing a way as he did to Nate Diaz, and yet still be even more of a star now than he was before the fight? Normally, people will go, "Well, that's the bubble burst. He's done now. You know, he can go back to mid." No, there's none of this. There's none of this. He's still an absolute superstar. He's got the rematch. Uh, he was sat octagon side with Justin Timberlake at UFC 200. Uh, one of the probably the most seen or most tweeted photograph of UFC 200 wasn't of any of the fights. Um, it was of Conor McGregor standing up in, uh, in 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 the second row, watching the first two and a half minutes of Frankie Edgar versus Jose Aldo. He stood up. He was the other side of the cage to me. I was sat octagon side on one side. He was the other side. And Josh Hedges, the UFC photographer, he was sat right next to me. He dashed off around there and got the picture. And that's the picture that everyone's been tweeting. That's probably the most seen picture from UFC 200. So, and he wasn't even taking part. So if you can make headlines without even being on the card, 
you know, you're dynamite. And uh, from a from a publisher's perspective and from a media perspective, whenever Conor, you know, whenever I do a story on Conor McGregor, it goes nuts. You know, they want us, they we we can't do enough Conor McGregor stories. I try I try and rein it in a bit. So I, you know, I, I, if he buys a diamond crusted Ferrari, I, I, I might not necessarily write about that. The guys in the office might do that. I try and stick with the sport as much as I can. But the fact that they are doing those additional stories is testament to the fact that he moves the needle, as the uh, the old the old uh, cliche goes. Yeah, he's the biggest star in the sport. There's not even a close second right now. Right. Next question comes in for from Joshi with two Y's, and Joshi says, "Any British fighters." that we might expect to see make waves in the UFC aside from MVP? Well, first of all, MVP isn't in the UFC yet. He's with Bellator and he's got a, a quite a few fights left on that contract. So I don't think we'll see him in the UFC anytime soon. But besides, are there any British fighters that come to mind, top of your head, um, that you think we might see in the UFC in the not-too-distant future? It's, it's tricky. I think uh, Mark Diacasey is probably the one name that leaps straight out to me. Uh, he's a lightweight, he fights in Bama. Um, a few fights ago, he had a bit of a label as being a decision fighter. He's got, he's got strong wrestling uh, for a British guy. Um, you know, us Brits aren't, aren't known for our wrestling pedigree, but he's, he's, he's pretty solid in terms of his wrestling base. But he's turned a corner, he trains up at ASW, uh, Atherton Submission Wrestling, um, up in, uh, I think it's near Doncaster. Um, and he trains with the likes of Scott Askham and, and, and uh, Mike Wilkinson with a guy called Darren Morris. And uh, they've turned him into an absolute killer. He's got knockout power. Um, his last two fights have been ridiculous one-punch KOs. And the last one against Kane Musa at Bama was... It was unbelievable. It was his first punch of the fight. Um, what I will do... I did a story on him uh, a little while ago saying, is this the next British star to join the UFC? Uh, I will dig that link out and I will I will tweet that out again uh, so you guys can see it. It's got the video clips of his last two knockouts in it. Uh, for me, he's the outstanding British prospect right now, and uh, we've got we've got a European card coming up in Hamburg. That would be the perfect opportunity to give him an op- you know to give him a shot in the UFC. I'd love to see it. It's funny we didn't confer. Um, on these questions, I before. panicked when you read that question. I didn't know. I didn't see that one. Well, no, that, that's not <laughs> a point. We're trying to like you know do this as off the cuff as possible and off the dome, as they say. And um, when that when when that question came through, I thought of Mark uh, Diakase uh, straight uh, straight away as well. Like you said, uh, his last two performances have just been outstanding. Um, one was a knockout in 24 seconds, and his most recent one against Musa was 36 seconds. And I think when you see talent like that come up through the ranks with a, a reputable promotion like Bama, if you're the UFC, you're going to jump on that talent and bring him in um, as soon as possible because he's fire right now. He's on a hot streak. He's undefeated. He's 9-0. Um, why not bring him in and throw him in there with some of the best in the UFC? And the other thing, and it's kind of an amusing sideline, is he was slightly annoyed that he won that fight so quickly by, by knockout because he wants people to see how good he is on the ground. No one's seen it because uh, he's just blasting guys out there with his punch power. So there's a lot more to come from Mark Casey, and I'd love I'd love for us to learn and see that progression under the uh, the UFC banner. I think he's uh, I think he's a real star in the making. Right. So next question is from Chris Lewis, and Chris asks, "Do you think MVP Michael Venom Page could actually hang at the top of the UFC?" Numbers are impressive, but competition 
less so. Now, obviously, Michael Page, that's been the big criticism of him uh, and the competition he's faced um, within Bellator. Uh, and and there's, I suppose, two ways of looking at it. I suppose when you see talent like Michael Page, um, you want to see him fight the best. At the same time, I can understand Bellator's point of view of trying to build a star. That's what the sport's all about, building and creating stars that are going to lead your big TV ratings or lead, um, you know, sell out arenas and stadiums and, and lead pay-per-view buys and so forth and be, become a franchise player of your promotion. Um, could I, do I think you can hang in the UFC now? To be fair, I like to be as professional as I can when covering fighters. It is no secret, though, that I've probably covered Michael Page more extensively than any other fighter. Uh, both myself and Abby um, have a documentary series running on him at the moment with MMA Junkie. Um, I know him really, really well. I'm actually going to be interviewing him at some point this week to follow up on his impressive performance against uh, Cyborg Santos at Bellator 158. I'm really high on him. I think he's a special talent. I really think he could go all the way. I think if you put him in there with the UFC, he'd be able to hang with um, the top 10, no problem. And and the reason I, I, I think others should also start to believe in him is when you look at someone like Stephen, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who comes from a similar background to Michael Page, which is the, the karate slash point kickboxing background, and you see how successful he's been in the UFC, why can't you apply that same uh, type of uh, thinking to Michael Page? Um, he's so fast, he's a great great size for, for the welterweight division. Um, some have described him as the next Anton Silva. Uh, I personally believe he can go one step further and given the time, the right opportunities and the right competition to cement his legacy, he could perhaps one day be considered even better than Anton Silva. I think for me the jury's out and, and that is no criticism of him. I think the way that, the, the way that you can build a fighter in the UFC is quite different to the way that you need to build a fighter in Bellator. And I'll tell you for why. There isn't the depth in talent. So what you've got, you may have a, a pool of fighters at 170 pounds in Bellator, but in terms of elite level top guys, they've probably got three or four, maybe five. But then below that, it drops off significantly. Whereas in the UFC, they've got a particularly strong 170 pound division. So if you go in there and fight someone who's 15th in, in the UFC, you're, you know, you're in there against a serious talent. And I think, uh, I think with Bellator, it's about building him slowly, almost more of a boxing style of promotion. You build him slowly, uh, you, you build the anticipation, you build the, 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 the aura of the name, while at the same time giving the guy octagon, exp- octagon experience, cage experience, because it's not the octagon in Bellator. So uh, give him cage experience. And then to the point that when he does go in there with an elite level talent, it will be higher in the rankings because because of the talent pool, but he's got that he's got that um, that betting in period done where he's actually got some hard yards in. He's got some miles on the clock first, so that's kind of the tricky spot because there's a big push to give him a big fight now, and I kind of understand where Scott Coker is. He wants to sort of bring him along a little bit more slowly than that. In the UFC right now, I think if you slung him in there with a guy between tenth and fifteenth, if you went in there with the right game plan, I think he'd be okay. But I do think that the plethora of wrestling talent in the UFC's 170-pound division, it would be a real sharp tank for him to dive straight into. You mentioned Wonderboy Thompson. The success of Wonderboy Thompson has been training with the likes of Chris Weidman and building up that wrestling game because being a decorated striker with OK takedown defence 
will get you so far, but then you'll hit the elite level, guys, and then you and then, and then you'll get found out. And I think what what's happened with Wonderboy, he saw that coming, ended up training. He's rather fortunate that Wyvern is part of the family now, so he's he's uh, he's nicely in there and he's training alongside Wyvern, who's one of the best wrestlers, a weight division above him. If MVP uh, were to, and I'm not suggesting he leaves London shoot because they're doing a great job with him right now, but if he had access to some elite American collegiate level wrestling guys, that would only benefit his game. And I think that's that's really the gap that we don't quite know. We don't know how big that 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 uh, that skills gap is right now. He may be there, and we won't know until we see him in there with an elite level guy. I think I think we're 12 months away from finding out. I think I think this time next year. Uh, they'll be looking to put him in for a championship fight. But I think they're trying to bring him along quite slowly. Can he do it? Absolutely. He's got all the talent in the world, but he needs the grounding and he needs to, he needs to get all of those things on point. And I think we're still in the learning phase for Michael Venom Page. Right. Moving on then. Uh, Raz uh, tweets in and says... Is it about a TV deal? No, it's not about he a TV He tweets me every day. Does he? Hi, Raz. <laughs> um, he's actually asking, when do we see an MMA football stadium show now we've already had a few yeah. um, Curitiba was the last one Curitiba was the last one um, UFC 198 uh, which had about I think a capacity of about 45,000 yeah. and previous to that um, even though it's technically um, not a football stadium uh, the Rogers Centre hosted UFC 129 um, that had 55,000 people 193 was in a rugby stadium with a dome on it yeah. in Australia exactly um, so it's not the first time it's not the last time but I think what he perhaps is referring to is when will we see an MMA stadium show in the UK what do you think Si? well we were talking about the potential for yeah. doing one in Manchester I think the weather makes it very difficult uh, and I also I think if we had more arenas with closed, closed roofs on them, it would make life a lot easier. We have one in the UK, um, which, is, which is the Millennium Stadium in, in, in Cardiff. But we don't have a big Welsh superstar fighter. Um, and to take, to take a fight over there uh, would, would perhaps be tricky. Uh, and they've got a deal. Of, I don't know if the, the, the Welsh Rugby Union have got any kind of buy-in with that stadium. Um, so they may have something to say about it as well so there are a few bits and pieces to, to sort of get out of the way bluntly put I think the O2 is the natural home for the UFC in the UK right now uh, and then they'll, they'll, they'll look to spread their wings and go out to other cities as well but I think really the O2 is probably the long term home right now it's a big arena it's the busiest arena in the world in terms of bookings uh, so it's, it's like, in London so you've got uh, it's iconic uh, you've got so many flights coming into London the world's biggest airport yep uh, it ticks a lot of boxes they're bringing in 24 hour travel as well which yep. is coming in in the next 12 to 18 months I believe on the weekends uh, yep. serving serving the Jubilee line which which goes to North Greenwich which is the nearest station to, to the O2 um, I think that's the natural home right now um, to have it in London and I know the UFC has always looked especially in Europe or in Maya to run shows, at least initially, in the capital cities. I know they've started to move things around a little bit, but they like to hold, in, hold events in the capital cities, and I think London is probably still the natural home for the UFC right now. I don't think... Unless, unless they put Bisbing in Old Trafford and shock everybody, uh, I don't think we'll see one for a while. Right. Last couple then, and we'll wrap it up for this week. Uh, a tweet comes in from my colleague at MMA Junkie, a gorgeous George of MMA Junkie Radio fame. Oh, superstar. Yes, and, and George says, will Sam Allardyce be the guy 
who can get you to a final, let alone win a tourney. Hashtag three lions. Now, what George is referring to here is, uh, once again, the England national football team had an abysmal uh, competition at the Euros this past summer. And uh, subsequently, uh, Roy Hodgson, England manager, is out. And big Sam Allardyce is in. Uh, I don't watch as much football as I used to, uh, Sai, uh, but I know you do. So you tell me, is, is Sam Allardyce going to be the guy that leads us um, to World Cup glory in a couple of years? Okay, the short answer is no. <laughs> but I don't think that's... Honestly, I don't think that's the aim for Sam Allardyce. I really don't. I think, you know, it, it, you, you've got to walk before you can run. And I've, I've, I worked at the FA. I worked at the FA for a while and I've covered football for... Before I started covering MMA, I was a football journalist for about 12, 13 years. And we've always had this sense of entitlement that we are one of the best teams in the world, sort of internationally. We're not. The, the truth, look at the record. We're not. We're, we're, we aren't that good. We have, we have the most financially successful domestic league in the world. But in terms of a national, it hasn't translated to the national team at all. In fact, it's probably been to the detriment of the national team. There's an awful lot of very boring infrastructure reasons I could give you, but I'm not going to do that because this is not a football podcast. But for me, Sam Allardyce's job right now is to restore some pride in the three lines. There's a massive disconnect between the team and the fans. Uh, I think Big Sam is the sort of spit and sawdust character that will bring everybody together, get the, get the players playing for the fans, get the fans behind the players uh, we've got what on paper looks like a relatively easy qualifying group for the World Cup. Um, get us to the World Cup and just don't suck. Get to the World Cup and don't suck. Get through the group. If we get knocked out in the knockout stages and we've played okay, that'll do. If we get to the quarterfinals, break out the bunting, we've done okay. Get to the semifinals, people will be fainting up and down the country. Um, I think we are a quarter-final team at best. If we can, if we can reach the quarter-finals, then Big Sam has done a good job. If we get further than that, the man deserves a knighthood. So, for me, the job isn't to win the World Cup or win the European Championships. It's to get the nation smiling again and get them, get them to fall in love with the three lines again. Because they've, it's been, a, it's been a difficult relationship the last few years, and uh, not since probably. Probably not since Euro 96 have we had a team that we can turn and go, wow, these guys are good and we're all behind them. So, uh, you know, that's 20 years ago. That's terrifying. So uh, we need a bit more of that. And I think Big Sam could be the guy to do that. Fingers crossed for him. I hope. It, I just hope everyone gives him a chance. Fingers crossed indeed. Uh, and that leads us to our very final question uh, coming in from our friend in the Netherlands, Giovanni Tin. Gio, the man in the hat. Absolutely. The other man in the hat. Yes. Uh, and Gio asks... Um, is this going to be an audio-only podcast? Well, Gio, and for the rest of you listening, for now, yes, but let's see where we can take this thing. Uh, if you can help us blow this podcast up uh, by rating us, reviewing us, uh, by following uh, the Twitter account and letting us uh, know where we need to improve, what do you want to hear? Maybe one day this will turn into a video podcast as well, but we're just starting out. This is episode number one, um, and we're going to do our very best um, to keep giving you guys what you want uh, on a weekly basis. And I think that's a good transition into wrapping up our very first episode, Si. Yeah, the plan was to do like 35 to 45 minutes, but with this being the first one, we've overrun a little bit, but that's all good. That's all good. I hope you enjoyed the first one. Uh, as much as anything, this is about getting started and getting things underway. 
With that in mind, we have submitted our, our feed to iTunes, to Stitcher, and to TuneIn Radio. Um, within the next few days, fingers crossed, we will get approved on all of those platforms. So uh, over the course of the next week or so, please do search search for the the, the, uh, the Brit Pack with Simon and Sandu. On those platforms, we should be there. We will tweet those links out once we're up and running as well. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Follow Sandu at Sandu MMA. Follow me at Simon Head. And follow the show itself at the Brit Pack MMA. Uh, if you want to listen live, I say listen live. If you want to listen online, uh, we're on SoundCloud, and the easiest way to get to that is just through the uh, URL we have, which is thebritpackmma.com. The SoundCloud URL is soundcloud.com slash thebritpack. That's pretty much all we've got. Uh, hour and a bit. Uh, we're up and running, boys and girls. This, this should be good fun. We're going to try and do this every week. Bonus content whenever we can get it. We might rope a guest or two in uh, as and when as and when the, uh, the situation allows. But Sandy, we said we were going to do this about a year ago. Uh, hopefully it won't be here to the next one. We'll do one next week, how about that? Uh, yeah, let's see what the reviews are this week. I don't know if I want to associate myself with a, with a sinking podcast after the very first episode. But <laughs> with that being said, I, I think we did all right. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to doing this with you, Sai, on a weekly basis. Uh, like, like we've said a couple of times on the show, we really have been talking about this for a good year. We've been throwing some ideas around about uh, the best way of getting you recorded, the platform. Uh, when the schedule suits both yourself uh, and myself, uh, we're, we're doing it. We're doing it. Um, so uh, give us a feedback. Let us know what you thought of the first episode. What you like. What you don't like. We're happy to take on board some constructive criticism. Because at the end of the day, we want to deliver a show that is enjoyable for you guys. So uh, with that being said, I think it's time to sign off. Great stuff. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the fights, and we'll speak to you next week.